Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he had did all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and with him there, he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome and good-looking, and after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, with me here, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not consent to lie beside her or be with her. One day, however, when he went into the house to do his work, and while no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called out to the members of her household and said to them, See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Then she kept his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to insult me. But as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, This is the way your servant treated me, he became enraged. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He remained there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison, and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Here ends the reading. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, stir up your holy power this day and come. Send your spirit into our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our ears, that we might hear a word for us today anew, and that we too might then live out that which we believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
So many of you probably already know this, but what we do here at Shepherd uh, is we use something called the narrative lectionary, which is different than the revised common lectionary, if that means anything to you. And so what we do in the fall with this narrative lectionary is we read through a number of the stories in the Old Testament in the order in which they appear. Uh, and so we started talking about creation, we started talking about Genesis, we started talking about a little about Abraham, and today our focus is on the story of Joseph. And I I really like having the opportunity to read through all of these Old Testament stories because we don't hear them very often. And in fact, this one, I'm pretty sure, never comes up in the Revised Common Lectionary and probably for some pretty good reason. The Old Testament, thank goodness, sort of tells it actually like it is. And so let's just look at a few of the things that got noticed as we walk through this particular story today. One of the things that you might notice is that God at this point in the story of the Genesis narrative is no longer speaking directly to any of the characters. Even just last week when we heard the story of Abraham, God speaks directly to Abraham and says to him, Abraham, get up and go. It's time to go find a new place. I will give you a land. I will make you a great people. I will bless you to be a blessing. And Abraham hears God talking to him. By the time we get here to Joseph, All we hear is that God is with Joseph. Joseph has some dreams. They help him and they help the king. They make him successful. I don't know what exactly this means, but it is sort of interesting to think as human beings developed, I've often noticed that kids are the ones who hear God's voice the most. I'm always remember of when Robin Blank, after uh, one of her daughters, after a church service where we did a baptism, ended up at the mall where there was a fountain and people were throwing pennies in. She took her sister up to the, up to the water, dipped her in and started to baptize her right there in the middle of the mall. Kids, the veil between kids and God just seems so much thinner than it does for us as adults. And I don't know why that seems to happen, but it seems to happen in the biblical story too. That by the time we get here, God isn't speaking directly to anyone anymore. God appears in dreams and the narrator says God is with him, but Joseph doesn't hear God's voice. At least it doesn't say that he does. The other thing to notice about this particular story and the Joseph story in particular is it is the worst and the best of all of humanity. If anyone ever tells you that they just sort of open the Bible and start to read it and start to let it speak to them, I have to say I think they're probably a little delusional to tell you the truth. It needs to be interpreted These are stories about the very complications of human life and the complications of God's interaction with all of us. Life is complicated. The Bible is complicated. These stories are complicated. And so if we expect the Bible to tell us the truth, we would expect that the stories of the Bible would be particularly complicated. Human relationships are messy. And even our relationship with the truth itself can often be messy and hard to distinguish. Now, Of course, in the Joseph's story, Joseph's dad plays favorites. This never happens, right? Parents never play favorites with their children. Why are you smiling? I know in my family it never happens. Well, actually, it happens all the time. We're we're particularly brutally honest about it in my family. We have what we call best boy status. It's just me and my brother. And I can tell you that since my brothers had two children, I have indefinitely lost the best boy status in life. It happens. 
We don't mean it to happen, but it happens. Life is complicated. Humans are complicated. Our relationship with each other are complicated. And why Joseph's family plays such incredible favorites is beyond me. This is not a highly functional family. Joseph's dad not only says out loud, Joseph is my favorite, he gives him a coat to prove it so that all he has to do is like walk around and wear this beautiful coat and everybody knows, look, there's the favorite. That's happy. That makes the brothers feel like they're pretty special. Not only that, Joseph makes it worse. Joseph has dreams, and in Joseph's dreams, the brothers bow down to Joseph. Now, if you're a 15, 16, or 17-year-old boy, and you start to have dreams where your brothers bow down to you, you probably should tell them. (laughs) So Joseph does. (laughs) Convenient. Now, there's no excuse for Joseph's brothers and what they did. What they did is horrible. Because of Joseph's best boy status, his beautiful coat, and this just overt favoritism by the father, what do do the brothers do? They sell him. Inexcusable, of course, but maybe you have some sympathy for the brothers. They take the coat off, they smear blood all over it, and then they tell their dad, he's dead. This is a highly dysfunctional family. And this, this is the family that God chooses. I find that to be unbelievably remarkable. This isn't the rich and the powerful. This isn't the exemplary or the A students. This isn't the best family in the world. This is a messed up family that God chooses. And God doesn't ever let go of. God promises somehow that God is working in this kind of family, our kind of human family, imperfect, flawed, and dare we even say tragic. So this is where we get to this part of the story. Joseph is sold. Dad thinks he's dead. Highly functional family. Way to go. Potiphar, this Egyptian military officer, purchases Joseph, and what he finds out is that Joseph is particularly adept at administration. He's good-looking, he's smart, he's articulate, so he puts him in charge of everything. If you remember the beginning of the story, Abraham is blessed to be a blessing, and this promise has now been accrued onto Joseph. He's blessed to be a blessing. And everything that he does for Potiphar is blessed. He takes care of everything, and everything in his charge is going well. And then he's handsome, he's powerful, He's articulate, his star is on the rise, and Potiphar's wife sees him. This never happens either. Powerful people taking advantage of someone who is at least perceived to be less powerful. At least in our day and age, the roles are reversed gender-wise. It's Joseph who is harassed for days and days and days At work, he's harassed by somebody who is trying to get him to do something that he knows is wrong and he shouldn't do. And he can say nothing. She harasses him so much that one day she decides, since she can't have him, she might as well take him down. I find this to be a rather interesting thing in human life, that if you can't have the thing that you want, then you often will destroy it. 
And so that's what she seeks to do. She seeks to destroy him. And Joseph is again betrayed by one of his garments. She reaches out and grabs him and the garment in her hand and holds on to the thing that she cannot have. Joseph escapes. She yells. He tells the truth. And he goes to jail. This kind of harassment, of course, doesn't ever happen anymore, right? These kinds of things don't take place in the human condition, where people accuse one another, where people harass one another, where people do things to one another that they shouldn't do. These things never happen anymore, right? The human condition is stubbornly persistent. Humanity is complicated. At our best and our worst, all of us, pretty much all the time, are both sinner and saint. What I find amazing is that it's not only this dysfunctional family that God seems to choose and promise that he will never let go of. It's amazing, in fact, to me that God hangs in there with us at all. It makes the flood story to me seem all that more plausible Humanity is difficult at best. Joseph does an interesting thing. He chooses not to engage. He tells the truth. He, he tells the truth. And in this case, it comes at a pretty significant cost. One of the things that I've noticed about faith, and at least these stories, and that I particularly like about the Old Testament, is that the story of faith as it's told in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament is not the story about somehow having your best life now. The story of faith for people in the Old Testament and even the New is that often when we tell the truth, it isn't exactly comfortable for us. The story of faith is not the story of accumulating power or wealth or promise or prestige. In fact, it is the promise that you are blessed to be a blessing not for yourself, but for the sake of others. I find, in fact, that the story of faith is more about confession and forgiveness. It's more about grace and love, about compassion and sharing, that we are blessed with the things that we have been given because God is with us to bless others. Joseph ends up in jail for telling the truth. I wonder what it would take for people to tell the truth even if they knew that it ended up that they might be in jail. There's certainly nothing like that that's happening in our world these days. Joseph ends up telling the truth. The definition of God with you is the definition of being able to tell the truth even when circumstances are difficult, when you can confess who you actually are and who you actually have been with the hope and promise that the ultimate judge is not actually one another, but Joseph fears God and tells the truth. The end of Joseph's story, of course, is one of promise. Even in jail, this handsome, articulate manager rises back to the top again. And the story continues to remind us that Joseph is blessed to be a blessing. 
And at the end of the day, if you even just sort of start to think about the arc of Joseph's story and the beginning of these brothers who sell him into slavery and then tell their father that he's dead, I can't imagine what that must have been like to look his brothers, all 11 of them, eye to eye when they're starving and not want to tell them to go pound sand. And yet, at the end, through a little conversation... Joseph eventually forgives his brothers, and God is with him. He tells the truth with compassion and love. May God do the same for all of us. Amen.